Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad that no one will film it, two men will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on the nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee and Patrick Duffy. Hey everybody. Hello Sean. Welcome to episode 61 of Table Reads. Uh, Welcome... Patrick to his second episode doing this show with me. Hello, ladies. That's his sexy voice. <laughs> um, so we're doing part two of the fantastic, wonderful Kevin Smith six million dollar manuscript from 1996. For all those listening to the podcast, there was a definite eye roll from Sean's. And I want to. I just want to point out that. 1996 was a time where you could still call this movie the six million dollar man and believe it now six million dollars wouldn't buy that dude a foot in fact there have been talks of making a movie based on this property and changing that m to a b well didn't this actually get uh reinvented into a comic book series called the bionic man this script did become a comic book series that I have not read. Um, and, you know, being turned into other media uh, doesn't count. No. It still it still applies for our purposes. Because, you know, uh, one day I'm going to run out of these scripts. Uh, they're not always easy to find. So I got to take what I can get, right? Yeah. We might have to just read comic books live on air. Wow, that would be the worst the podcast worst. ever. Can the we worst. start that right now? I, w- <laughs> I want to start the worst podcast ever. That's what we can call it. <laughs> the worst podcast ever. Starring Sean McBee. And maybe Patrick Duffy. Who knows? Yeah, and whoever wants to read comic books on an audio podcast. Man, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> can we stop doing this one right now and just start on that one? <laughs> I've got like 40 gig worth of comics on my iPad. Let's do it. <laughs> Previously on Table Reads. This one I can do pretty quickly uh, because it's ninjas attack some scientists who are working on a bionic arm with a microchip. Uh, the head ninja, who is not Darth Vader despite all appearances, um, has a half metal face with some sort of computer port in his eye socket. And a smoke machine. Uh, Let's not forget that. They all have smoke machines. How do you not have a smoke machine? He also really likes sandwiches. So, then we go to uh, Steve Austin, our hero, being portrayed by Patrick in this instance, uh, who is a test pilot for the U.S. military on his last flight. Oh, nothing could go wrong there, right? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, he's getting too old for this shit. Plane go boom. Uh, On his last flight... His plane crashes, um, and his mysterious government buddy, Oscar, uh, has made allusions to needing a, a, viable, a viable human guinea pig for Project Six Million, um, which maybe is their way of using the Six Million Dollar Man name while giving it a higher budget. Maybe he's not really... Maybe they don't really spend Six Million Dollars on fixing him. 
maybe that's just the name of the project. Anyway, he he uh, alluded to this six million dollar project uh, or project six million while investigating the ninja attack. Um, and so yeah, last thing we saw: plane go boom, fade in. Interior, OSI headquarters, conference room, day. The room is very high-tech, yet very functional. So all their high-tech shit isn't broken, I guess. Is what that means. Screens built into walls display rapidly changing data from around the globe. Around a conference table sit the movers and shakers of OSI. Oscar, Hauser, Core, 40s bullish, Langston, 30s, company man, Dawson, late 30s, Colin Powellish, Colin Powellish. He put an extra L in his name, by the way. At the head of the table, a high back chair faces opposite the others, preventing us from seeing its occupant. Blofeld, I guess. The others listen to the distinctly whiskey yet feminine voice intently. Whiskey yet feminine. How do we read that as, uh. uh. Kathleen Turner? <laughs> Stop it. Or, uh, ooh, ooh, you know you know who would be perfect? I'm going to cast this character in my mind with a whiskey yet feminine voice as Captain Janeway, whatever that lady's name is. Okay. I like okay, Janeway. So I'll have to be her because uh, your voice is too deep. Four hits in four months, all in bionic divisions of OSI, all resulting in theft of highly classified data, all resulting in gruesome casualties, all engineered by our own former agent. The chair spins around, revealing Sage, the head of OSI. She's in her 50s, attractive while maintaining an extremely commanding presence. Janeway! (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen... I see no reason to put this off any longer. I strongly suggest we move ahead with phase two. Mrs. Sage, ma'am, to use these attacks as an excuse to move forward with unproven technology, technology that, at this point, is more theoretical than probable. It's our belief, ma'am, that it may result in the same outcome that we now find ourselves facing. Another system failure that turns our own weapon against us. What would you suggest, Oscar? Whoever's stealing our technology is doing so with the intent to put it to use. Would you like to be the one who has to explain to the president why another country has a functional prototype we developed before we have one ourselves? Well, that's not fair, Miss Sage. We've uh, had a prototype already. Rises and tosses a folder at Dawson. I'm aware of that, Dawson. The folder flaps open in front of Dawson, spilling photographs of the body count from the Bionics Division break-in across the table. He's made me aware of that several times now in the last few months. Oscar shakes his head. Margaret, there are other means of shutting down Clatch. And what are they, Oscar? Walks around the table. The last time we came even close to tagging him... Clatch took out three cracked troops of SEALs before the team leader even caught a glimpse of him. That is, 
before his neck was snapped. Do you know what that sounds like, Oscar? The sound of a neck being broken? Try listening to it amidst screams over a walkie-talkie. Because people say amidst. I had to. And I also had to live with it. Because I sent that team into the jungle to liquidate our renegade lab rat. Reaches her chair again and sits. No, gentlemen. We're moving ahead with Project Six Million as soon as possible. The only way to destroy a weapon is by using another weapon. Will you be overseeing volunteer selection, ma'am? I'll leave that to Oscar. Oscar looks over to her sharply. Langston looks from Oscar to Sage. Begging your pardon, ma'am, but it was Mr. Goldman's last selection that placed us in the position we now find ourselves. No offense, Oscar. We don't lay blame at OSI, Langston. Oscar's no more responsible for what happened with Clatch than I am. Ma'am, Clatch was Mr. Goldman's recommendation. The prototypes restructuring and training were completely overseen by him and his team as well. It's difficult to not find some fault in his project management. Ralph, if I recall, I wish I knew his name was Ralph. I would have done a different voice. (laughs) Ralph, if I recall correctly, you were the one who approved of the atomic relay in Clatch's central nervous system. A relay that resulted in contamination. Sage coldly stares down Langston. Man, I wish I'd had you be Langston because this is all just me. Me, 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 me. Sorry. You can take over Langston. Can I now? Yeah. Do whatever voice you want. All right. I think our people can follow along. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, we're probably never going to see all these characters again. No, probably not. Like, he, he named, like, eight characters right at the beginning of the scene. You know, like in The Star Wars, Draft One, a script that our listeners have still never heard. Uh, you know, I, I know you did a couple of those reads, and I'd really love to hear what you did. I have the first part. All right, so where are we? Um, now that we're all playing nice, let's adjourn to get work. Thing you yeah. Okay, so that's still you, because that's Sage. Now that we're all playing nice, let's adjourn and get to work. Thank you, gentlemen. The assembled group rises as a wall door slides down with a hiss. They exit, exchanging thoughts on the meeting. Oscar has a brief word with Hauser, who nods and exits. Leaving Oscar and Sage alone in the conference room. So I'm talking to myself, great. <laughs> Sage packs up files. Oscar saunters to the seat across from her. You were pretty harsh on Langston. He was pretty harsh on you. He was only making an honest observation. As was I, packs her briefcase. Nobody likes a martyr, Oscar, except the Catholics. Thank you. Uh, sorry, thank just, you just an aside, for defending me. I, just an aside, I, I love that you had me take over Langston, and Langston leaves the room. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but I'm really established as Oscar, and I don't think you can pull off Sage. I don't know. I think I might be able to. Uh, was that you trying to? Because we'll, no. we'll say no for the record. That was just Patrick whispering. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that was. I could give it my Fran Drescher. Uh, don't ever do that. (laughs) 
Nonsense. I'd have done the same to you had you gone after Langston. They exchange a quick glance. She smiles. Maybe not quite as harsh, though. In regards to candidate selection, I have to tell you that we don't have a volunteer who'd even come close to Specs. Prolonged use in the field would, would result in another breakdown. Psychological or physical. Physiological or psychological. I can't read those words. They're too similar. Not this time. Limited usage is our objective. Shutdowns and failsafes will be built in. Once we clean up the clatch mess, we can mothball our new model until further necessity. Margaret, we're talking about a man here. That's where you and I have always differed, Oscar. I'm talking about a machine, and when not in use, machines get turned off. It saves on the wear and tear. Sounds like the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Hauser re-enters, urgently. He rushes to Oscar's side. There's, uh, there's been an accident at the airfield. Oscar's eyes go wide. Steve! Exterior airfield, day. The Jaws of Life machine uses a high-powered laser to cut into smoldering wreckage. Rudy and his team of medics and emergency units surround it, waiting. I can't see any connection between them trying to find a volunteer and uh, this wreck. Can you? Oh, I I'm sure if we look hard enough, we'll find it. Oscar's car screeches to a halt a few yards from the action. He and Hauser jump out and race toward the broken craft. McClintock intercepts him and holds Oscar back. Get your hands off of me! Save it, Goldman! All we can do is wait! Oscar watches wide-eyed and helpless as the emergency units work feverishly at cutting the roof off the ship. The ship? The ship? Yeah, and, and you said feverishly or feverishly? Feverishly. Okay, all I heard was feverishly. Well, that's because your internet isn't as good as mine. Uh, no, mine is about as good as yours until you get your fiber. <laughs> you bastard. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Screw this podcast. I'm just going to sit here and think about that for a minute. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> Okay. We're back. <laughs> Oscar watches wide-eyed and helpless as emergency units work feverishly at cutting off the roof of the ship. To McClintock, Hauser says... How long has it been on the ground? 20 minutes. The hole's twisted so tight, they're having a hard time breaking through. Break on through to, to the, the other side. side. Have the scanners picked up any vital signs? The only way we're going to know anything is by... The Jaws of Life laser shuts down. McClintock takes stock of this. We're in. The machine lifts the cut metal away, allowing medics to pour over the inside. Oscar, Hauser, and McClintock breathlessly wait. The chief medic pulls his head out of the hole. He's alive! <laughs> Smash, Smash cut, cut. to... <laughs> you know, I haven't seen that since I worked on the Sleepy Hollow TV series. <laughs> and at every commercial break, it would say, Smash cut! Exterior, hospital, day. A helicopter lands on the roof. Doctors and assistants rush over to it, ducking their heads beneath the wearing blades. The door is slid open and a gurney is removed. Interior, hospital, day. The gurney slams into two doors, throwing them open. A team of doctors rush beside and behind it. Atop it, looking bruised, burned, and badly damaged, 
is Steve. He's covered in a series of bandages, forehead, right eye. IV hooked up to his arm, oxygen mask over his mouth. He appears to be barely alive. You know, I bet if we looked up the $6 million man opening, that this would be an exact description of that scene. Yeah. Though we can make him better, stronger, faster thing. We have the technology. Which it just occurred to me is going to be in this dialogue. He's going to put it right in the dialogue. I don't I doubt know it. it. I mean, Kevin Smith, if not nothing, is uh, at least cheeky. Interior, emergency room, day. The gurney is wheeled to a stop beneath high-powered lights and locked off. Life support machines are... With an apostrophe. Okay, they just own some shit. (laughs) Life support machines are hooked up and display immediate readouts. Steve's G-suit is cut off, revealing mauled skin. Bone fragments break the surface. Above, through the... (laughs) I love how that got to you. Like, you're, you're invested. You are right there in it. <laughs> I mean, that's what you brought me on to do, isn't it? I mean, I, yes, I plan on making fun of stupid stuff, but... Uh... Above, through the observation window, we see Oscar. He watches intently. The doctors break out bone saws and various high-tech metagear. Coining words now. <sighs> Operation tools cut into Steve's various appendages. Operation tools... Not surgical instruments. Operation tools. <laughs> Jesus, Kevin, come on. <laughs> the life support systems give constant readouts of Steve's falling vital signs. Oxygen regulating his breathing, Steve remains very unconscious. Rudy enters, surgical mask in place. Oh, I didn't think Rudy was going to come back. I got to do my terrible Wilfred Brimley again. All right. Damage report. Severe arterial tear near the left ventricle. Which is, like, the most stereotypical heart problem. Yeah. You can just go ahead and be all these... All right. ...stupid doctors (laughs) that are only going to have this one line. Well, the sternum's crushed. Six ribs puncturing right long. Abdominal duress, pelvic contusions. Shrapnel lodged in right eye. Severe ocular damage. The skull fracture with cranial trauma. Blood pressure dropping rapidly. We're losing him. Prep for defibrillation. Stat. Stat. (laughs) He had to add the stat, because doctors really don't use that word. You know what? This is 1996, and Kevin Smith was like, doctors use that word. Yeah. The paddles are shoved onto Steve's chest. Rudy holds them. Clear! He pumps the paddles. There's just a button. You don't pump. Steve's body jolts up a bit and settles. The heart monitor goes from flatline to erratic. It's an improvement, I guess. Rudy rubs the paddles together and places them against Steve's chest again. His his heart's going. What are you doing? Guy, guy, what are you you doing, guy? Uh, Clear! He pumps Steve again. The heart monitor displays a newly steady heartbeat. Rudy tosses the paddles to the side and grabs the bone saw. Let's get to work. Interior, observation room. Oscar watches the operation below. Jacket off, tie loosened. He sips coffee. Okay, jacket off, tie loosened. I could picture him as like, you know, the nervous guy. Like, oh, but 
He sips coffee just changes the entire feel of that. Now, he's just a dude like, huh. Totally, like, he's just relaxed. Totally. Bad move, Kev. Bad move. You know, I hope Kevin hears this. I'm just going to keep talking directly to him. Well, you know, Kevin is a podcaster, so he might. Oscar watches the operation below, jacket off, tie loosened. He sips coffee. The clock on the wall behind him says 12.30. Interior, emergency room. Can I just intervene here? Mm. He couldn't have used the word coat. Um, No, because if he's talking about a suit jacket, that's a jacket. A coat goes over a jacket. Okay. Well, poor choice of words, Mr. Smith. No. No, he's right. This guy's in his shirt with his tie loosened, not wearing his jacket. But he said jacket off. Like, oh, come on. Jacket off. I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it to the pervs in the studio. Yeah, um... Continue. You know, the idea that that didn't occur to Kevin Smith and it did to you really says something about you. Well, it probably occurred to uh, Muse. Just saying. I'm sure Muse read it and be like, dude. Muse can't read. (laughs) Interior emergency room. Rudy and his team hover over Steve, pulling, cutting, checking. Steve is mercifully out cold. Stop cutting on me. Exterior, Tokyo, Japan. Not jarring at all, that cut. An establishing shot of the bustling city. With subtitle burned in, letting us know where we are. Because again, that's how movies work. (laughs) Exterior, Atoya Motor Plant, day. Establishing shot of the automobile giant of Japan that I just made up. Unless it's supposed to be Toyota, has all the right letters, just not enough of them. Um, interior, a Toyota motor plant assembly line, day. Cars are put together by man and machine. Bodies travel down assembly lines and are augmented along the way, taking shape bit by bit. Man, I really hope he cuts between this and them bionicking Steve. <laughs> That would be really great intercut footage. Asaki, late 40s, Japanese business exec, travels down the line, accompanying Tuskagi, early 60s, commanding and stern, his boss. Ah, oh, yes. Get some Japanese accents going. Hell yeah. <laughs> you want to take Tagas- uh, Tuskagi? Sure. Um, and I'll take, uh, I'll take Asaki. Tuskagi is his boss. As they pass workers on the line, the workers bow. They speak in Japanese, translated by subtitles. Production has taken another leap. Our output has tripled in the near for need for workers has decreased for another 18%. Whoa, tone it down. I can't understand what you're saying, Trade <laughs> Federation. <laughs> We've laid off 2,000 more employees in our 16 plants. You'll take great pride in relating this information. Of course, Tuskagi-san. That puts our revenue higher than it's ever been in the company's 30-year history. 
There is no honor in depriving a man of his livelihood. You'd do well to remember that. <laughs> Asaki re regards his superior with discomfort and disappointment. And what of our competitors in the States? Have they not these new machines as well? No, Taskagi-san. We are far more advanced. It will be years before they come by the technology we are employing, I'm sure. And within three months, the latest advances we've come by will enable us to completely go automated. And while there is no honor in eliminating workers, there's a tremendous profit. And how is it that you come by this great technology that the Americans do not have? Well, we do not fear spending money to make money, Taskagi-san. Taskagi looks at him, saddened. I pray, nephew, that you do not place too much faith in machines. <laughs> because <laughs> it should be noted... Power to build many cars is nothing in comparison to the force. <laughs> Just, uh, he looks at Asaki knowingly. Asaki hangs his head respectfully. Never, Taskagi-san. Taskagi shakes his head ruefully and walks away. Asaki watches him go, hate burning in his eyes. He then whips around and rushes off the floor. Interior, darkened cavern. Alone, under a single light, Clatch sits cross-legged on the ground. He's shirtless, giving us a view of metal beneath even more of his rotting skin. Why is his skin rotting? That leprosy. seems weird to me. It's leprosy. Apparently they still have that in Japan. I don't know. He appears to be meditating. He opens his eyes and looks around at the shadows. He withdraws a piece of cloth from beneath his legs and ties it around his eyes. He then draws a breath and settles. Come. From out of the darkness, a horde of ninja strikes, attaching, attaching, attacking from all <laughs> angles. Clatch hops up unnaturally and defends himself, blindfolded. So he's Daredevil now. The first attacker rushes at him. Clatch reaches out and snaps his neck as the second attacker leaps atop him. I can't talk. Sword drawn. Clatch turns the sword on his attacker, impales him, and quickly withdraws the sword to impale the incoming third attacker. A fourth attacker hurls Shruikin at Clatch's head. Clatch catches them quickly, one by one, and reverses their direction back at the sender. They sink into his masked face. Nice. The fifth and sixth attackers race at Clatch with Chucks. <laughs> oh, okay. We're gonna call Ninja Stars Shruikin. We're gonna use proper uh, you know, ninja as the plural of ninja, but for Nunchucku, for, for, for Nunchucko, we're just gonna call them Chucks. Like, <laughs> like they're throwing you know, converse at him. <laughs> Spinning them deftly around their elbows and shoulders. They move to strike. Clatch juts both hands out and snatches the either end of the weapons, pulling the bearers close to him. He leaps off both of his feet, sending his heels flying into their noses, pushing the bone into brain 
and dropping them dead. You know, I really hope that this henchman program has some good benefits. The seventh attacker comes from behind Clatch with a solid five-foot bamboo shoot. He swipes it at Clatch's legs. Sweep the leg, Johnny! (laughs) But Clatch instinctively jumps over it, kicking his foot backward at the same time, disarming the seventh. He reaches back and punches his fist through the attacker's head. Ooh. He pulls it out hard in time to elbow the face of his eighth attacker, catching him in his armpit and pulling his head off. Off, pulling his head off. How do you Not do that cutting, from the armpit? Pulling, uh, catches him in the armpit, and then pulls his head off. It's okay, two, two different hands. So it's essentially it's a two. get over here move. Yeah, it's two actions. Okay, then all is quiet. There's zero movement. They're all dead. Clatch stands there, surrounded by bodies. The whole scenario lasted about twelve seconds. Aziz. Lights. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. The lights come up and we, have a, we get a view of the cavernous room. It looks like it was built inside a mountain. Steel walls built into stone. Metal catwalks. Computer banks. A James Bond layer. Clatch pulls off his blindfold and tosses it to the ground, just as Asaki enters, flanked by two soldiers. Eight assassins in 12 seconds. Your appetite for death is showing no signs of wear. Gear that thinks. English. You behave like an American. I'm going to speak to you like an American. I behave like an American? Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh? Gilgamesh, yeah. (laughs) That's, That's the name he's chosen. That's great. Clatch's silent assistant approaches Clatch... With a kimono, which Clatch then dons. Gilgamesh regards Asaki with distaste. Yours is a culture built on honor, Asaki. Centuries of pride and tradition. All with high regard for honor. You've managed to undermine that in six short months by functioning on greed and training in espionage. You would perhaps care to terminate our agreement. Clatch offers Asaki a sharp glare and then looks to Gilgamesh. Clatch smiles and heads toward a computer bank, again with the banks of computers, closely shadowed by Asaki. Gilgamesh rides Asaki's heels. You're too transparent to threaten me with something you'd never consider, Asaki. You need my help, and what's more, you want my help. I hear reports! That your latest raid went smoothly. In and out, multiple casualties. Also, you can produce cars faster than Americans, using American technology. The manner of which you betray your own is inspiring. You're pathetic. So says the one who portrays his own country of origin, his government's top secrets. And for what? Profit? Same as myself. That's where you are mistaken, Asaki. You assume I speak allegiance to nations. I refer to the casual attitude you take with reports that I've killed some of your species, and the curiosity of which you have watched me do it here. My species? And what species would that be? 
Yeah, that thinks. Can I just say? Yeah, I know. This scene never ends. It's horrible. It goes on forever, and we're overdue for a break. <laughs> and it's it just keeps going. Good God. Well, what do you say we continue this when we uh, do come back? No, just let's just finish this scene, this never-ending scene. But you pick up the pace on your dialogue, because nobody cares this much about this dialogue. <laughs> Humans, stupid. The download data is on the disk in the attache. And the subfusion microchip. Our industrial spies informed us. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I can't do this with a straight face. Oh, and the God. subfusion microchip in our industrial spies informed us on the Americans we're working on. Doesn't exist. Your leads were wrong. By the way, it... It now is sounding like Clatch is American, but he was speaking Japanese earlier. He's not actually Japanese. That's what I think is happening. We need further clarification. Until this time, I will speak Clatch's voice like this. They were this time. Take your disc, leave my money, and get out of here. The manner of which you order me around, it would seem you forget who paid for the construction of this fortress of yours. People that stink around here wind up dead or biomechanically improved. If you're willing to volunteer for either, I will be glad to have you. Threats aren't necessary, mental one. I'll go. The only other matter we have to discuss is my uncle. Ah, the great Oblivious Taskagi. Oblivious no longer. I suspect he's starting to believe in your rumored existence. He may need to be silenced. Willing to kill for his own blood? And for what? Money? I'll do your uncle Asaki free of charge. One less of you. Clatch taps a few keys and looks up. Before him, a wall opens, revealing a window into what can only be described as a cocooning facility. In various transparent, liquid-filled chambers float cyborgs in various states of completion. We can see this because their replaced limbs are crude and metallic in nature. No epidermal layers. Robotic arms and legs are attached to forced hibernation subjects, most of Japanese descent. Asaki is wide-eyed. Clatch looks like a proud father. It means one more of us. Ah, yes. I had almost forgotten you're building an army, aren't you, Clatch-san? Preparing for the day the machines run the Earth. Machines are powerful, yes, but they still require a human to turn them on. That's literally not true. <laughs> One machine could very easily turn on another machine. Well, they sure, but apparently not in 96. They have a machine that will turn itself off. You know, Have you seen the useless box? Yes, I have, and it's hilarious. I love it. I want one. Mm-hmm. From his terminal, Clatch reaches out and grabs Asaki by the throat, lifting him off the ground. Asaki struggles in Clatch's grip, choking. Clatch doesn't even look up, choosing instead to concentrate on his work. Gilgamesh watches. <laughs> You'll do well to remember the need of you grows less and less, Asaki. Pray the day never comes when I find you obsolete. He drops Asaki while continuing his work. Asaki... Coughs, weakened. 
He collects himself and rises, staring bug-eyed at Clatch with a mixture of fear and bile. Your funds are in the silver briefcase. I will inform you of the opportune time to liquidate my uncle. You do that. Clatch gestures to Gilgamesh, who in turn grabs Asaki and briskly ushers him away. And get me more ninja, will you? Seems to have run out. Clatch giggles at his terminal as Asaki is marched out amidst the fallen ninja. And in their cybernetic rendering chambers, Clatch's army lies in wait. Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. Hey guys, it's TJ. I know you're enjoying the wonderful content the Rogue Intel Podcast Network provides you. We really couldn't do this without the support of you, our wonderful listeners. One of the best ways you can say thank you also happens to be one of the easiest ways. Just go to rogueintel.com slash Amazon and do your Amazon shopping as you normally would. It won't cost you anything and you'll be supporting your favorite podcast network. That's R-O-G-U-E-I-N-T-E-L dot com slash Amazon. Hey, it's Clint Daly, host of the Daily Dose Sports Podcast. You know we release a new podcast every single Wednesday, and we bring you our own unique outlook on the world of sports. You know, we try to give you some actual insight and maybe a common sense approach to sports. Whether it's breaking news, some of the biggest games, or even some sports history, check out the Daily Dose Sports Podcast now on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. The Daily Dose, your daily dose of sports and sarcasm. Here at RogueIntel.com, we strive to entertain and to stimulate. From nerd rage to outrage, from goofing off to deep thoughts, we've got you covered. The only way we really know how you all feel is to hear and see feedback. And that's more than a thumbs-down, thumbs-up proposition. Tweet us or write us on Facebook. Review any show on iTunes. Or, to really mix it up with us, join the forums for access and insight on each show its creators, and what everyone else who listens like you do feels about it. Feedback, because we're starving for it. TableReadsPodcast.com Lights, camera, action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. Podcast Network. Man, that was a lot of really obscenely offensive Japanese <laughs> stereotyping. Yeah, I, I apologize to all the Japanese and hell Asian listeners out there, uh, except the Indians, because there's no confusing that. Just uh, the, the white ones too. Just apologize to everybody. That was just awful, <laughs> and I loved it. I I definitely enjoyed it. Fade in. Interior. Operating theater observation room. Later. The clock reads 9.15. Oscar dozes off in a chair in front of the observation window. Rudy enters, pulling off his mask. He saddles up behind Oscar and gently shakes him. Oscar. Oscar stirs slightly, then bolts upright, eyes snapping open. Take it easy, pal. It's all right. Is he... He's still with us. Oscar sits back, gasping a sigh of relief. I dreamed I had to call Jamie and tell her. 
you know. Wait, so she doesn't even know right now. <laughs> She's just like at work teaching kids. Well, that's the military for you. That call you don't have to make, but there's another one you will have to. How bad is it? We lost both legs. Oscar looks out the observation window. Below, post-surgical Steve is wheeled out of the operating room. The left to the knee, the right to the hip. The right arm is gone as well. His right eye is gone, took a piece of metal in it. He'll be in intensive care for months. Oscar stares, sadly. (sighs) Right. I love Steve Austin. The man's a saint. A hero, even. I've worked on him for years. Kept him healthy. Patched up some minor bruises and broken bones. The man they're hooking up to monitors right now in the IC unit is not Steve Austin. Not the Steve Austin that we know, the world knows, or even he himself knows. It's going to be hard, Oscar. Especially for... Jamie, has she been? Not yet. And when you do, you're going to have to break it to her that she won't be permitted to see him yet. Not for a while. And when she is given access, well, I don't know that he'll want her, want to she her. (laughs) That's what it says. I don't know that he'll want to she her, or rather that he'll want her to see him. Understood. But Jamie is not who I'm concerned with. The one who's going to take this the hardest is Steve himself. The more you know. (laughs) You know what kind of man he is? Physical paradigm. Go-getter. Constant achiever. Between you and me, I never thought for a second that this early retirement he was planning would ever stick. He'd find some way to get back into it. Some way to convince her that he'd always be alright. Good job, Steve. He's going to have to be watched. That's what I'm getting at. Oscar looks to Ruby, dubious. It's textbook, Oscar. (sighs) Steve's not a textbook (laughs) case, Rudy. You can't choke up during that scene like it says. (laughs) Instead, you laugh. (laughs) That's so cruel. It was uh, my, like, trying to push through the choking up because <laughs> I, I don't want to be it like Steve's not a textbook case Rudy That's, that doesn't fit Oscar <laughs> he is now Rudy quietly stands and stretches I'm gonna go check on him and then get some sleep can I no I'm straight sorry can I not tonight there's no point he'll be out for at least Two days, maybe more. You keep your strength up for your phone calls. This isn't something I can do over the phone. I'm going to go see her. She might need some comforting. (laughs) That's good of you. I know she'll appreciate that. She'll need someone tonight. (laughs) Someone to lean on. You'll both need that. Rudy exits. Oscar watches him go and collects his things. He takes a beat to look out the observation window again. 
Oscar's POV, the operating theater, now dormant and quiet. It's more than evident, however, that something major just took place there. Something major indeed, Oscar thinks. He throws his jacket over his slumped shoulder and walks out of the room. Fade to black. <laughs> Fade in. A murky, out-of-focus view of Oscar. Bright lights behind him. Steve. Interior, intensive care ward. Day. Steve struggles to keep his eye open. The other one hidden by bandages. It's not there. It's not hidden. It's literally not there. Oh, unless... He slowly takes in his surroundings. Oscar sits on the bed beside Steve, holding his one hand. Welcome back. Steve focuses on his friend. I made it? You did. Wish I could say the same for those legs of yours. Oh, oh by the way. <laughs> I'll read it properly. You did. Wish I could say the same for the Daedalus. A pained smile plays about Steve's lips. Tell. Tell them. He goes out again and comes back. Take. Take it. Out of my pension. You're really bad at reading gaps. You like do the first gap <laughs> and then just put it all together. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're on a time constraint here. Let me, I'll do, I'll redo it though. Take, take it out of my pension. I'm sure they'll appreciate the <laughs> offer. How long? Oscar steals himself to respond. Four weeks, Steve. It was touch and go for a while there. But Dr. Wells says you're going to be fine now. You're out of the woods. Rudy enters, clipboard in hand. You're back in the woods! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rudy enters, clipboard in hand. He smiles when he sees the awake Steve. Two days ahead of schedule. I told you this boy was strong. Hello, stranger. Aren't you glad you got that checkup before the takeoff? Steve smiles, but then confusion slowly plays about in his face. Has he spoken? He's cracked a bad joke. Does that count? Cracked bad jokes and cracked ribs. Yes, I'd say Colonel Austin is back to... Where? Rudy and Oscar look to Steve. Steve looks to his right arm, or lack thereof. My arm. Oscar looks to Rudy. The moment nobody's been looking forward to. Rudy moves closer to Steve. Steve, you had a bad crash. Steve slowly... <laughs> Pretty sure he knows that. <laughs> Steve slowly looks to Rudy. His eyes say it all. But my arm... No. You lost your right arm. And both of your legs... Steve rolls his head to the side, shocked. No. But you're alive, Steve. You're going to live. Did you hear Dr. Wells, Steve? You're going to live. Also, you don't have legs, and there's that arm. 
Also an eye. He didn't mention the eye. Thought I'd bring it up. Um, and I totally banged your fiance. <laughs> like a lot. Um, other than that, you're gonna live. Uh, did you hear Dr. Wells, Steve? You're going to live. Steve tries to focus on them. Why? Rudy and Oscar exchange looks. Why didn't you let me die? He closes his eyes and goes under again. He closes Oscar his looks. eye. It's the, <laughs> I mean, I know it's his eyes, but come on. He only has one. Oscar looks to Rudy. Rudy checks Steve's status on the monitors. It's okay. He just lost consciousness. It'll be like that for a few days. Did you hear what he said? No, I left the room for a while. I just sort of zoned out. Didn't hear him say that thing about wanting to die. Uh, yes. And it's going to get worse before it, get, before it ever gets better. Hauser enters, carrying a cellular phone. <laughs> this is back before the days of cell phones. The old man called. She wants to see you. Oscar stares at Steve, oblivious to Hauser. Rudy puts a hand on his shoulder. You better go. You won't be back for a couple hours. I'll call you with any news. Oscar nods, still staring at Steve. Interior. OSI headquarters. Sage's office. Day. Oscar stands before Sage's desk, open-mouthed. No. I don't think I asked for your permission, Oscar. I don't care. I won't let you do this. Sage pulls out a file and reads aloud from it. Reading. Colonel Austin has been in combat twice. Once in the Gulf War, once in Bosnia. He's flown countless test flights and covert missions. And his health is impeccable. Well, it was. Minus the leg and yeah, the other leg and the arm. Was impeccable. <laughs> that man is broken now. We can rebuild him. Oh, no. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> For what? So you can send him on your dirty little errands? Bullshit! He's just woken up to a lifetime worth of misery and acceptance, and I'm not going to let you give him legs. <laughs> he just found out he doesn't have any. Now you want him to get used to having legs? You're a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. So you can send him on your dirty little errands? Bullshit. He's just woken up to a lifetime's worth of misery and acceptance. And I'm not going to allow you to play Frankenstein with what remains of his dignity. He's come too, has he? That's a shame. I was hoping to bypass certain situations. You heartless witch. He has a fiancé. And we haven't heard if his penis still works. He has a, he had a fiancé. As of 1100 this morning, Colonel Austin has been reclassified as deceased. Uh, what? He's dead. At least to the world. He undergoes surgery next week. That is, if he complies. Which I can't see why he wouldn't. He's broken and, for all the world knows, dead. What other choice does he have? He has the right to a normal life. Please. The man is damn near limbless with one eye. 
What semblance of a normal life can he possibly have a right to? Damn it, Margaret, he's a friend! All the more reason why you should be in support of this procedure. We'll make him whole again, Oscar. That much I promise. We have the technology. You'll make him a machine. Nothing more. I won't sit back and watch what happened to Clatch happen to Steve. Then get it right this time, Mr. Goldman. And the first step toward that mutually beneficial goal is convincing him that this is exactly what he needs. And if he refuses, he's classified as dead. That classification can't change. It can only become more accurate. Oscar stares at his superior, shocked. Sage closes her file. You have one week. I suggest you get to work. Oscar shakes his head and storms out, slamming the door behind him. Fade out. Alright, two episodes in, and this dude is still not bionic. Well, he's getting there. He's got a one-week thing. Right now, he's just the $6 million medical bill man. Yeah. So, my question to you is, do you think it can get much worse than this? Well, you still got to get to two bionic dudes fighting each other. Got to find out what Clatch's deal is. And what's with the bad guy's plan to, like, use bionic technology to make better Toyotas? Is that is that really our big... Well, apparently it worked, because if you look at the Toyota plant now, I mean, they do have some bionic arms at play. But... Is that our nefarious evil plot? Yeah, that's Car pretty manufacturing? weak. As, yeah, that's pretty weak as a, as, a, as a plot. That just reeks of someone going like... Look, we live in a business world. We need to business this shit up. We need, like, money as a motivator. It's it's weak. I, I will give it to Kevin. He did not bite the, the, the phrase we were all thinking, or the, the, the monologue, the dialogue. That, not uh, yet. Not yet. Yeah, I mean, he's done not part of it. Yes. We can rebuild him. We can make him better. He does actually use that later on in his career uh, with Dogma. Yeah, but that's referential. Yes, of course. Not self-referential. So, um, Patrick Duffy here has a podcast he does uh, post every Monday called The Prime Podcast. You can check that out at, what's the web address? Theprimepod.com. That's the one. You can catch that and this and plenty of other shows at RogueIntel.com. And uh, you can always, also I forgot to mention this last week, you can download the scripts that we read and read them yourself at TableReadsPodcast.com. Yeah, so do all that. Uh, Do your Amazon shopping at RogueIntel.com slash Amazon. You will... Make Patrick some money, but not me. Well, now you share. No, I, I do. Sh- Dude, who's Mike? Or you share. Who's Mike? Okay, he shares. <laughs> I know how to share my toys. And uh, hey, one last thing: if you guys want to give us a bit of feedback on the show, uh, you can go ahead and email us. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on that Facebook because we'd love to hear your comments on how we're doing. 
That's not just coming from me. It's just coming from him. I'm I'm fine. You're fine not knowing how the uh, the populace feels about your wonderful show. Uh, you know, I I know they love me. It's you're the one that's in question. Let's let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. Okay. Hey, come on, dude. I am losing weight. You don't have to call me <laughs> fat. Uh, no, seriously though, hit us up. Uh, the table reads is the name of the account on Twitter at the table reads. Do that. Uh, table reads is easier to find on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash table reads. The voice of table reads is Art Carlson. This has been a Rogue Intel production. Cut to black.